Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We also welcome back our friend, PC Games Ends, Fraser Brown. Hello. Finally, we are joined by freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Good morning. I suppose it, I suppose it is morning for you, you waster. <laughs> well, and it's morning for Fraser, in that it's Almost, it's, it's half twelve, yeah. <laughs> So tonight we're going to be talking about franchises lost and redeemed. Uh, sort of apropos of our Attila show a few weeks ago, which which Fraser rudely bailed out on. Uh, we're <laughs> like we're we're going to be talking about franchises that have stumbled really badly, and then how you write the ship, or in some cases perhaps capsize it. So I kind of wanted us to just examine reasons why franchises sort of end up jumping the rails. What's some of the reasons for that? Uh, what some of the like driving factors are for a franchise that uh, goes wrong, and then also how some of them have been turned around and fixed. And I'll be honest with you, this is all really a very thinly veiled way for me to talk about F1 2015 a little bit, but I'm going to leave that, uh, <laughs> leave that aside for, for now. Uh, and maybe just talk about, you know, let's start with the big obvious one, uh, Total War, which is a, which is a franchise that I kind of feel like is lost, is redeemed, and then is lost again. And it just goes through, a, it goes through a cycle like EA sports games. Yeah. It's not a bad analogy. I mean, you look at, um, uh, Empire, uh, which is, I guess, the first really serious stumble. Now, you didn't like Rome, Raw, but you were kind of in the minority there, I think. But I think your criticisms are certainly legitimate. And Barbarian Invasion, you liked quite a bit. But Empire was a very serious stumble for Total War. And then we get Shogun 2, which is just outstanding, uh, though it has some technical issues with how, it, the, how it's paced and how slow it is to load. Then the complete misfire of Rome 2. And now we have Attila which we argued, I think, convincingly, or I was persuaded, it's one of the best Total War game uh, of all of them. I was convinced and very confident, and then I read our comments on the forum on idlethumbs.net, and I suddenly wasn't so confident. We have some really, really smart people on our forum. If you're listening to the podcast, I do recommend you check out the forum and sign up. I know that uh, we should be engaging more, I think, as podcasters, and it's one of my new half-year's resolutions is to do that. Um, because there are some really smart people making some really smart comments there, and it's really worth a read where people know, people who can dive more deeply into the games than we can. But I would still argue that Attila is certainly a step up from Rome 2 and offers at least a design way, a design concept forward. It's not a failed design where I could make the case that Rome 2 is. I, I like how you went from, um, the best total war game yet to a step up from the worst total game game yet. Well, I mean, if, if you go <laughs> just hedging our, a little. Well, if you go with our forum, they would say it's probably a step up. I would argue it's, I think, the best. I would still think it's the best ever, unless you're like a power user who knows all of these games inside and out. Then you'll maybe have your quibbles. But for most people, I would think your Attila experience would be much better than the Rome experience. Yeah, actually, I was just I, like, you know, I was sort of kidding there. Like, the forum users made some really interesting points about certain things that are sort of baked into the way Rome 2 works, but fundamentally, I, I, I still love this game, I'm still playing it, and, and still think it's fantastic. But it is interesting to me how Total War goes through this this cycle, and I think at this point it is a cycle, and I, I kind of think, after our show, I want to say there there was someone in the forums talking about how it was it was great to see, like, Creative Assembly really had gotten back on track and had, had had sort of fixed the franchise. And I'm like, I'm not so sure that the franchise is back on track so much as we're just currently at the the top of the arc that Creative Assembly's yeah. Total War series takes you on. Well, that depends on what they do next and what the lessons learned are. And this is a huge problem with, you know, for supersized franchises uh, like, you know, the Total War games, like uh, Civ games, you could maybe make the argument, you know, some of our stuff at Paradox, though we're not certainly at that level of superstardom and super sales, where with each new version of the game, you also have to somehow match what came before, plus all of the expansions and all of the improvements. And that's not easy, especially in the Total War setting, where you're also always, you know, changing the era. And you have, you know, new video cards and new technical issues, and everything's got to look more pretty and more cinematic and it's certainly not 
something that is easy to do. I think the Total War games are probably the most difficult strategy games to make well if you insist on using, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of making this cinematic production that is also a very good strategy game. Uh, those things, I think, don't always go hand in hand really, really well. I think they did in Attila. I think it does show that there are at least some people there that are drawing lessons from at least recent failures. But if you look at Empire um, and look at the, the Napoleon uh, expansion for that or Napoleon standalone, whatever, Napoleon Total War, that was a good game. Um, that was a, based a lot on Empire. Um, and I know we've made this, we've had this discussion before on the show that maybe the smaller settings work best, but maybe it's just they learn what they've screwed up and then they can fix it um, somewhat. I mean, they're always limited by some things, by design decisions that are baked in, but... I don't think it's so much about making them smaller, but it's when Creative Assembly kind of focuses more. That's when I think that they improve. That's kind Um, of what I meant. Smaller and focused. Yeah, because... Because with Attila, it's still very, it's a very large game, but it is way more focused. It's got that sort of almost post-apocalyptic feel, and it's got that focus on the kind of the nomadic tribes, Um, but it's still huge. Well, I think that when we're talking about size, there's also some very technical issues here that are really important with these games, which is, you mentioned it with Shogun and uh, stuff like load times. Like, I remember when I was talking with Rob when Rome 2 came out, he was like, I want to die every time I click in turn. Like, and then <laughs> Civilization has this same issue where when a new one comes out, like, very few computers can actually get to an end game on a decent sized map without having to spend like a minute between each turn and it's a real pain and can destroy your entire perception of the game um and i think one of the differences between the total war games and civilization is that with total war you start out with an entire map that's kind of at some level developed and uh so that that sort of that bloat is already present from the very beginning where with civilization it only comes later so i can still enjoy a civ game even if i only ever play the first half of it yeah i I think the i I think the technical issues are important i think i think the technical issues are, are twofold there because on the one hand you have the challenge the 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 base level challenge of just getting the game out the door just getting it to work right or 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 right ish as the case may be and I think that's kind of what ends up... I think that really is maybe what explains a lot of the cycle I see with, with Total War is I've always sort of felt like there's almost like... There are the Total War games that basically just debut an engine. And then there are the, the expansions and the standalones that follow up on it that sort of expand on what that engine can do and actually put a proper game to it like i you know i, I think in in empire's case uh napoleon's an interesting case because napoleon is based on empire but also it also cans an awful lot of of what made empire empire right like napoleon's like man having a, having the entire world in a total war game that didn't work well did it and just chucks it out you know chucks it over the side and i, and I feel like with with, with rome once again, it was you know there's this there's this game that you know when it came out you could feel it straining at the limits of, of PCs, uh, you know it, it was really this this technically ambitious game, but then it just it just sort of ended up feeling like because of all that the design kind of got squeezed out and I think that's actually maybe points us to something else which is some like a lot of I, I feel like where a lot of franchises go wrong maybe is there's almost this, uh, there's like an obligation to produce a new entry in a franchise and gamers want it we all want it right we're always talking about man i would really like a new one of blank but what comes with that is we also want all the new bells and whistles we want to look better than ever we want to be bigger than ever more features than ever and a lot of a lot of times these these new additions come come along and i think total war is a case like this where there's not necessarily any immediate necessity to improve on what you already have like if they just made if they just made like rome 2 but using like the shogun engine would it, and and a lot of the shogun design would it have still been great yeah probably would have been fantastic but that isn't what creative assembly can do right they have to you know every other game roll out this this quantum leap uh that you know this, this this great leap forward that maybe 
isn't always necessary, but it certainly is for marketing. Do you think that maybe with uh, Warhammer that might change because all of a sudden they're dealing with this, you know, someone else's universe with someone else's rules and things like that, and that will make them go back to the drawing board? I mean, it's still called Total War, which is, I, can, I kind of worry about that, that they've put it in this franchise and that it might not be very different at all. But that could just be for, you know, because people recognize yeah. Total War games. I'm hoping that's just branding. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things I, I've, I've certainly observed with, with, with uh, Total War games is, is that um, a lot of times there, there, are some very cre- there are clearly some very creative and innovative designers working at Creative Assembly. Like, I don't know if you remember, but uh, with the, the, with the, the, span, the Iberian uh, expansion for Napoleon... It was sort of trying to model this this three party this three party war in Spain, where you had the British, you had the the Spanish holdouts, and then you had the French who were fighting both, but then also waging this guerrilla war. And it was it it actually changed a lot of things. Where suddenly there were there were a lot more agent types, and there were a lot of ways to sort of paralyze and undercut the French that they couldn't really direct, they couldn't symmetrically respond to. And you started to see that you started to see those uh, those mechanics. Take, poured it over into other games, but it sort of took the focus of how do you make a game about this specific strategic dilemma? And they came up with some really interesting answers for that. And I, I feel like with Attila, they did the same thing, right? We, we talked about that, that wonderful post-apocalyptic vibe and the cool way the, the barbarian hordes, uh, hordes operate. And I feel like, once again, that's a case of it, it discovered neat ways to express, like, strategic problems and faction identity that like Rome two never did. And so my, my hope, I guess, Fraser is, is, is that my hope basically is that uh, total Warhammer ends up being, I guess, more like an Attila in some ways, like more about faction identity, because that's really what I want in a, in a Warhammer game, right? I want to be yeah. kind of ridiculous and have that vibe. My fear is that it's going to be like, all right, well, it's got to be, you know, Warhammer, like you've never seen it before. And they're going to try to top Rome, <laughs> Rome, and it ends up being basically the, the uh, you know, Total War Warhammer ends up being Rome 3. Somehow there are still chariot archers. Oh, my God. <laughs> the thing is that all the, they could just give it a, a visual overhaul and, and a lot of people would still just lap it up because the idea of a Warhammer game of that scale looking that good is a very compelling one. Is there a Warhammer mod out there? If there is, I'm sure it's very, very popular. There is, yeah. There I'm is. sure it's very and popular. There's, yeah, it's, it's, there's a, a big one for... I, I can't remember. Is it... I don't think it's for Rome 2. Are you talking about the original um, Rome one? There's a, there's definitely an original Rome one. I think there's a there's, Medieval 2 one as well. Yeah. Medieval 2 was the last one that really allowed like full conversion modding, so it's almost yeah. certainly yeah. that. Yeah, I, I yeah, actually I'm, ended up interviewing uh, the, this guy, uh, I think James Bailey, uh, I want to say, uh, but he did the like the entire uh, Warhammer Fantasy mod for Rome 1 by himself, basically. It was just maybe, you know, friends pitching it occasionally. And it's this it's this crazy effort to to try to like drag that drag that engine kicking and screaming into uh <laughs> in, into 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 Warhammer Fantasy. So yeah, it'll be interesting to to see how all that plays out. And certainly, I think there are a lot of people who would be more than happy with just a you know a glossy Warhammer Fantasy flavored uh, Total War. Like I think really in terms of like you know. Like the the pitch for the game, you kind of can't miss. On the other hand, I do think like Rome Two couldn't miss. Well, and, and sales wise, it didn't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah look, man, another example. And critically, it did really well too. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's, it wasn't just you know that it sold well; it reviewed well. Oh God, and I'm getting they, depressed again. Who can, and, who can and, we blame for that, Fraser? Well, no. Come on! <laughs> God, I knew I, knew I was setting myself up. I need. 
<laughs> well, another example of that is, is, is uh, Beyond Earth. I mean, that's just a space-based sieve, yeah. really, right? Here we have the very similar mechanics that are ported to a very beige, uninteresting space. And uh, at GDC this year, the developers admitted they didn't quite go far enough in making it, in differentiate, differentiating it enough from the Civilization V model it's clearly inspired on. So you end up with, you know, lifeless, uninteresting factions and diplomacy options that don't make a whole lot of sense and a whole new planetary system and aliens and these three uh, ideological channels you can follow that don't seem to do much or counter each other. And once again, I think that's a lot of the whole... It's the whole porting things over. Uh, the one design, even even if the if design can really can work really really well. Like you know, Civ Five. It, when we get to you know, it's a brief new world at the very least, is a really really good solid game. Probably one of the probably I would think it's better than Civ Four at this point. Though people argue with me on that point till the end of time. Those people are wrong, Troy. I know, right. but you know, <laughs> it that, depends on it, if they're playing mods. I think that's a, an essential aspect of this, is that yeah. Civ 4 had better mod opportunities. Civ 4 is certainly a, yeah. easier with better to mod, and there are be, easier to mod, and there are more better, more developed mods for it. But so, and that leads to, you know, Beyond Earth, which is a game that has, I'm not sure we can say it's a stumble in the Civilization series. I, mean, I think we probably can say it's a stumble in the Civilization series. They call it Civilization Beyond Earth. And they've admitted they made mistakes, and here we're waiting for what's the expansion called? Rising Tide. Rising Tide. Yeah, that's a that's a submarine movie. Open uh, So they made boats. they made a not great civilization. So now they're going to let you build cities and water and stuff like that, and you can have a not great Alpha Centauri. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> wow. We'll see how, wow. That's cool. That was, I, I think Alpha Centauri was already pretty, pretty not great, Fraser. Holy oh, Jesus! Oh my Christ. God! What is happening? What is? <laughs> Do you have a heresy cord on this podcast? I'm, I'm just going to toss this grenade in there. No, oh my story God. is fine. God. I just don't love it at the same level as a lot of people. Okay, that just that, came that, out of nowhere. The, that, that's re- it's reasonable to say you don't love it for a lot of, for a lot of reasons, because Brian Reynolds certainly has things he would take back. Uh, if you listen to our podcast episode, something or other, way back when. Well done. Just Google uh, Brian Reynolds, three moves ahead. It'll be cool. Yeah, it's one of our top, top ten episodes. It's not too hard to find. Uh, so... It's, there we have another example of a long living series where, and I mean, Civ 5 was a big break from Civ 4. It took, the designers took a huge risk in moving from that. And yet, with Beyond Earth, there was just, for some reason, no desire, no energy, no push uh, to push, to, to expand, to take risks. For, I mean, who knows what reasons, you know, Firaxis is a studio that has. Uh, publishing master and who knows what the budgetary reasons and design reasons are there. But, you know, the developers recognize uh, they made a game that's too beige. So I have, you know, some hope for Rising Tide that it's not just going to be, hey, we've got cities underwater now. Um, but we'll see when so the embargo on some preview coverage is coming up soon. So fingers crossed there. Well, but I, but I think Civ's an interesting case because that whole series has, has had its ups and downs, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I think certainly with by the time you get to Beyond Earth, maybe you're talking, you're you're dealing with that necessity issue yet again, right? Where it's like what you got's pretty good. Uh, so what, like, what's the what's the point of the new? Like, what do, what do you really want from a new one? The answer they came up with was sort of like, well, Civ Five is good, so how about Civ Five in space? Literally that, like vanilla Civ Five in space. But I, I feel like Civ has the special problem where each entry in the Civ series feels like the perfection of this formula, and it's a really well known and old formula at this point, and everyone's gone to school on it in the forex genre. So with each new entry, it's like you're kind of facing the question of how do you improve on this thing that is beloved and people are really invested in, and they haven't always gotten the answer to that right. And Civ Five, I think, ended up being really, really great, but I vividly remember uh, how much people hated John Schaefer's original design. It wasn't just the bugs that the no. game shipped with. It, like People hated the way he changed what they thought was a perfect game. And also, it took things out, right? They'd gotten used to things like religion, for example, which wasn't in the original Civ design at all. There was no religion, which arrived at first, you know, in Civ Four, which was kind of the perfect at-birth civilization. Um, and religion is there as a core mechanic. 
and then it vanishes and Civilization V doesn't come back uh, until the expansion, the first expansion, uh, which John did not work on. And so part of it is, you know, I'm looking, here's a paradox, disclaimer, I work for paradox, but if, if we were to do Crusader Kings 3, and we've since, with Crusader Kings 2, we've added a thousand different things, which ones do we put in <laughs> Crusader Kings 3? Because the complete CK2 has, you know, Muslims and Vikings and 700 years of history and what in the design do we change? The leap from CK1 to CK2 wasn't a big deal. CK2, monster hit, what do you choose? What do you keep? Um, and the answer all the way through the Civ series from, you know, Civ 2 was just more of everything. That was Civ 2's answer to Civ 1. Civ 3's answer was oh, borders and culture and more victory conditions. That was the Civ 3 answer. And uh, more diverse... Uh... More diverse civilizations. Yeah, and we'll add, yeah, we'll have unique units and try to vary the, the, the cultures a little bit. Civ Four was a graphics overhaul and a major play overhaul in very many ways, especially in the military system. And Civ Five was, let's throw everything in the garbage and start again, which is the hard way to do it because you piss more people off. Um, but you end up with a really, really good design, I think, in the end. But I think it, it's becoming even more of a problem when you have so much like DLC and you know media expansions. Well, the expansions themselves aren't the problem, but it's like right. when you get to making the new games, you're like, well, we added this stuff on top of it. So do we just wait to add it back in? Do we scrap it all and just start from the very beginning again? Or um, you know, it's an issue that The Sims has uh, <laughs> majorly. Oh yeah, um, you, you, you couldn't. There weren't any pets. Yeah. I mean, I mean Sims 4 pets. launched without pools, though luckily right. they put them in for free. But again, it's like, it starts. And, and I think, like, with The Sims 4, it's the best core Sims experience. Like, just without all the expansions, yeah, it's, really it's the best. It's, it's really good. But I immediately was like, where are my apartments? Where are my, like, nightclubs? And where are my shops that I can run? And all this other stuff that I'd been used to in Sims 3. But that was all brought in in expansions. You are the problem. And I agree with you. <laughs> we all are the yeah. problem. Yeah, we, we, like that it Katy doesn't. Perry DLC and everything. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily make sense that Civ Five would not have religion. Like religion is a pretty essential part of human history, and yeah. yet you know it was a functional game, mostly, except for the bugs. But um, <laughs> like, yeah, but it was Civ... also still considered a stumble at the time. And maybe yeah. like in five years, we'll talk about Beyond Earth in the same way, but. I don't know if Fraxis will put that much investment in it, but well, rising um, tide I mean, will have to really rise. Yeah, um, I think that part of the issue, as mentioned, is that like, okay, what is Fraxis doing? Like this year, it was clear that they were going to. It's it's time for a new game from them, right? And they have XCOM and they have Civilization, so we're getting either XCOM two or Civilization six, and we're getting XCOM two, and I suspect we're getting Civilization six announced at least next year, like. This is what they can do. Um, it yeah, sells well. Yeah, they maybe, have well, that a, pressure. A new Sid Meier's Ace Patrol. <laughs> Sid Meier's Spaceships. Yeah, we could always do another one of those. But yeah, it's... Uh, so we're talking about... And like when we're talking about Creative Assembly, well, let's also bear in mind that they're like the only division of Sega that actually makes money anymore. Um, <laughs> so they have that pressure too. Right. We'll, we'll we'll know that gravy train is about to uh, about to fall off the rails when Sonic shows up in the Total War game. Oh god! <laughs> you know you know it'll happen. It'll be it'll be like the the final death throes of 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 Sega, and they're just like yeah, this this next Total War is kind of Sonic. It's going to be great. Total War. Total War Super Smash Brothers. I'd do it. You know when when it comes to this is the other thing is. I feel like recently you've got this problem of you're taking an old game or an old game design and then trying to apply it into sort of the the new economy of how we consume games, right? And I feel like, you know, partly your issues with uh, the, the Sims, Fraser, you know... Yes, each time they release a new game, eventually they do they do have to reintroduce all that stuff. And I understand why that works that way for The Sims. But then you also saw that nickel and dimey approach with uh SimCity. And I'm not the, the, maybe that's I'm not sure that's what killed SimCity. I think probably the 
the the massive limitations on size and uh, the the kind of brokenness of their city model uh, probably killed Sim City, but uh, it was definitely a sticking point. Was that it, there was this feeling, real really early on that you know they'd sold you you know they the basically the rest of the city builder you wanted was going to be the razor blades that EA was selling you for the uh, for 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 Sim City. The razor so blades. Finally, oh, okay. I finally got the analogy. I was thinking, oh, I'm not, I mean, I hated the game, but I was going to kill myself over it. <laughs> but now I get. But now I get the analogy. I mean, they obviously, you know, they had the expansion. Uh, what is it? Cities of the future, cities yeah. of tomorrow, or something. I've actually got it. What a terrible mistake that was. Oh god, yeah, it was and was it, crap. There was. You. It's kind of weird because I mean, it looks great. Because that, that that is the thing. SimCity just was a gorgeous game, and the glass box thing was was great. But it was just the limitations are all still there. You but you can have a greater population by just stacking these massive skyscraper units owned by like megacorps on top of each other, and just creating this these like massive like the, it kind of made it look a bit like Mega City One from Judge Dredd, really. Um, and then you could put kind of uh, shops and industry and all of that in these giant apartments. So you could get slightly bigger cities, I suppose, but you're never really expanding out the way. And that's kind of all it added, some kind of fancy technology and stuff like that. But it never really tried to improve the core systems in any way. And they were all still crap and all the same limitations were retained. So, you know, that was like 20, 30 quid wasted. Well, I think that you're getting at something here, which is that how SimCity 20-whatever-13 um, was designed in order to take advantage of certain fads. With the main one, I think, is social gaming, because it wanted to basically put together a Farmville-style thing where you have a sort of ecosystem mm -hmm. of a bunch of people in the oh, same God, place I, and they're exchanging the things that they need with one another but that shit never ever ever worked because it doesn't actually make sense in a game like that but you have this sort of push to have okay and you want it to be modular enough that they can sell things and uh, city skylines just said yeah you guys go do that i don't really care but um ea wanted to control that and that didn't turn out super well. So you have this always online, you have this social gaming stuff, you have uh, the DLC model that just all of these things ended up taking away from the idea of what SimCity should be. And, you know, this is how you get um, bloated and hobbled franchises. And I feel a little bit of that happened again when Company of Heroes, uh, Company of Heroes 2 came out which was a game that I was really, really excited for. Like, hey, more Company of Heroes? Sign me up. Eastern Front, even better. And I think the fad it, the, the fad it bought into was, again, sell, like the idea that it could sell you endless cosmetic upgrades. And it would it also, they could sort of hold your attention if they just gave you endless amounts of, like, grinding objectives uh, to go and try to meet. Uh, so you ended up with a company of heroes two out of the box that was at first glance a lesser game than company of heroes one. I'm still not sure they've 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 surpassed company of heroes one, but I think that that first impression was very much uh, you know twofold. One was they were going to waste a lot of your time as you just sort of played the crap out of it to get unlocks, and two they definitely wanted to sell you a lot of meaningless crap for company of heroes two. The the DLC has has dramatically improved that I think with uh, like Western Front Armies, which was like the first major one, uh, which was a bunch of new. It, it was completely multiplayer. It was a bunch of new maps and uh, two new armies, which is uh, Oberkommando uh, West and the U.S. forces, mm -hmm. um, and that that added a great deal of variety to the the multiplayer uh, aspect. But I think that it really came into its own as a game with uh, Ardennes Assault, um, which was just... Fit. I, I think that with Ardennes Assault, it kind of surpassed the original Company of Heroes. Certainly in terms of a single-player experience, like yeah. there's nothing that compares. It, it was phenomenal. And, and the, the problems you said about the sort of the grind through objectives and the slog, you know, that, that was kind of completely removed. Those, those battles in Ardennes Assault are much tighter, they're more focused, and... 
when there are objectives, there are little dynamic things um, and random things that you can kind of just go and do. But most of the time you're focusing on this kind of core battle. I think if we uh, head back to Civ Five for a second, mm -hmm. they didn't really understand the 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 DLC idea either. Um, I remember interviewing the designers, I think, for Gods and Kings, but basically they were talking about how they thought they could just keep churning out little pieces of add-ons for like five bucks and people would keep buying them. And then they'd realize that that wasn't really helping the game and people weren't really buying them. So, like, you get the Babylonians and the Hawaiians for a couple of bucks each, but you don't have any, like, sense that these things are actually improving the game overall. They're just another thing. Whereas when they started putting more time and effort in a, a full expansions, you get something like Brave New World, where every part of that game or every part of that expansion feels like it all goes together. You have those uh, new empires based entirely on trade routes and stuff. And that that's what made Civilization V like a worthy part of that series is that they got the expansions that ended up filling in the gaps that were needed so yeah there's another sort of new money aspect thing that yeah i, I you know I, that's a really good point i kind of wonder if both those cases uh that and like company of heroes too let me run this by you and you guys can let me know what you think i feel like both those cases are examples where there was one business model they had which was the one that they the world they hoped they lived in where they could give you a lot of stuff that didn't take them much time or it, it didn't require a lot of resources to produce this content, but they could still charge you a nominal fee for it. Right. So like, Hey, here's a civilization we didn't include in the box just randomly. Uh, so you want to give us some money and play that these guys, you remember from previous Civ? Cool. Um, and then you've got, you know, Company of Heroes 2 doing sort of a similar thing where they're, they're trying to sell you, uh, you know, cosmetic stuff and such. But then eventually you have to, you know, bite the bullet and say, well, we need to we we need to actually produce sort of the, the large content, uh, you know, the large content pack, the, 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 the major expansion, both because that's going to actually be the thing that unifies the game. Like that's going people are going to move on to that. And it's not going to be not going to be this balkanized game. But also because certainly when it comes to strategy games, this is this is how I think most of us look at this stuff, right? It's not like a MOBA. I don't I don't care about skins in a strategy game like this as much. I want like new game mechanics and 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 new you know like all sorts of new stuff uh, to, to play around with. And I and I feel like both Civ Five at first and uh, and Company of Heroes Two kind of tried to evade that reality. I think it's more that they probably, at the start, when they've just launched the game, they have all this kind of extra tat and crap that you can buy, but I don't think that means that they never plan to create these kind of meteor expansions, DLC. Um, I think that is just sort of naturally the first thing you start churning out. You keep people's attention, and you're like, look, there's more rubbish that you can buy for this game. And then once they've bought all that up, that's when you move on to the, the expansions that take longer to create. I would also imagine that there is significant publisher pressure here. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like when I, when I was learning about Beyond Earth, it was like, okay, what's our pre-order bonus? And it was maps of um, like other planets that we found, which is kind of cool. But Ish. like I there's no like conceptually that's kind of cool, but there's no like emotional connection to that at any level. Um it's not like a map of Africa. We know what Africa looks like, you know. Um so it it, it that one felt like it was just we gotta have some sort of bonus here, guys. And maybe for Axis was like, No, we're not going to pull out an entire faction. We need factions. So we ended up with something that didn't really make much sense. Like, I wonder how many people who pre-ordered it and got that map pack actually did it because of that, or we're just always going to pre-order it because yeah. it's a Civ game. Yeah. I sort of feel that there's definitely people who will just buy collector's editions of, of whatever. I've always sort of felt collector's editions aren't for super fans of a game, but for super fans of just collector's editions. I get that for physical releases, but I don't think for 
anything digital, there's that much attachment because it's just it's against just something in your computer. It's not something you can display. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I I think there's there's other issues like going to that theme of obligation. I think there's sort of a special category. The thing that the thing that I I see like hurting a lot of games over time, and I think this is actually less a strategy problem than just uh, a lot of more mainstream games problem, is once a franchise is sort of obligated to be like annual or like semi-annual, you start really struggling to come up with good reasons to 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 make this next game, right? And you're on such a compressed timetable that you end up not being able to make maybe the game you you want to make. And I, I think right now it's an interesting time because because the console landscape just shifted, a lot of franchises that are also out on PC are suddenly struggling just because, well, now there's now there's different hardware they're working with. And so like you know, one of the things that really got me thinking about this was actually my experience playing F1 2015 lately uh, from Codemasters. And F1 2015 is, and we've, we've talked about the F1 games on this on this podcast before. We used to be very much into them, and they, they sort of hit a diminishing returns point. But F1 2015 was supposed to be the one that, that brings it all back, right? It's supposed to be the game that, hey, we... we I, I know we punted last year. We know F1 2014 kind of sucked and was totally phoned in, but this is the game. This is the this is the new generation F1 game you've been waiting for. It's going to be great. It's going to have all the new graphics, new driving model. This is the thing you really need to buy. And the problem is it still kind of sucks. And I think a big a big part of that is at no point has Codemasters been able to sort of take a break from this. And you see the same thing like EA Sports games, right? Where you're operating on such a compressed timetable that you just, you know, even even phoning it in in F1 2014 wasn't enough time to make an F1 game that lived up to the standards of the franchise. And I guess there is a little bit of that thing we talked about earlier where players expect all the stuff they're used to from previous editions of the game because certainly that's something I held against it. Because uh, F1 2015 doesn't have like career mode, and the previous F1 games did, and that really rankled. And the question is like, is that a fair expectation when they've when they've reinvented a, a lot of other things to do with the game? I don't know, but I do know that as someone who's played the series, right? I'm I, I load the game, I look for the stuff I'm used to seeing there. It's not there. And suddenly, I don't care about the new graphics. I don't care about all the new stuff they've done. I want to know where the hell the half of the game that I used to love, where'd that go? I feel like there's a, a sort of customization issue here. Um, when I play sports games, I want to be able to customize as much as I possibly can about my experience, particularly in terms of career modes and whatever. So, like, I NBA 2K does what I want it to do. So I play that even though soccer is more my interested sport, but FIFA gives me nothing like that. And I think that, yeah, that, that goes along with this sort of obligation or fan need to, they want to be able to play it in their way that they're used to. And some games, for whatever reason, the designers stop having that. And that's not really... That's not really, like problem with the fans so much as it is also a problem just a problem with interactions expectations that it's going to happen pretty much no matter what yeah i do feel like the the, the idea of options maybe that is sort of the first thing to go when you're you're sort of really under the gun you're working with some some really severe like production limitations right because the the interesting thing about like a lot of ea series is that they're all about customization and fortunately, that's sort of baked into the DNA of, of most EA games. Uh, I'm not sure what your issues are with FIFA, because I don't really play the soccer games. But, like, certainly with the NHL series, you can, you can... You're always allowed to sort of tailor the experience to what you want. It becomes, as good as it can at least, it, it becomes the, the, the hockey game you want as you sort of tweak different values. And it represents what you, you want out of the game. And I, I feel like with with F one twenty fifteen, with the, with the, the the issue the issue is they they basically struggled to produce the barest bones version of F one, 
and it only works under these really limited <laughs> these really limited settings, right? So it's like, uh, sorry, we can't we, we can't give you that option and that one either. Uh, this is look, just just drive your goddamn cars around a racetrack, all right? Is that are you happy now? And then that's kind of how it feels. And what worries me about these cases when when you're obligated to sort of make a game like this year after year. And you're actually starting to burn up your goodwill because what you, you're offering a diminishing value year on year is how do you break that cycle? And that's something I, I, I sort of wonder about. Like EA is lucky because they, they deal with sports that people will show up to buy these games no matter what. But well, lucky I, is possibly a strong word there, given that they bought exclusive licenses in many of these cases. <laughs> that's that's very true. They are they are fortunate. They are blessed. <laughs> Blessed is a good way to put it. But EA also, you know, they especially you look at you know what they've done with uh, look at Madden, look at uh, NHL. From year to year, they often experiment with one or two new features, some of which mm-hmm. are dropped uh, from season to season. Um, so this, you know, it's, we'll try this and we'll drop it. We'll try this and we'll drop it. But they're often not, you know, core parts of the experience. And I think a lot of the issues with um, Codemasters and F One is I'm not sure they quite understand what the core desire of their user base is, if they just think that a lot of the users just want to drive the cars, if this is just some driving simulation that are all that's all people want. When you know if you follow F1 racing, you know, often the driving itself is not the smallest or least interesting part, but it's you know, it's part of a larger yeah. story. I mean, F1 seasons are this huge epic of personality clashes and team management and budgets and uh, this whole cycle of you know careers and franchises and teams rising and falling, um, and the idea that you know we could just make a let's make a really nice, good-looking driving simulation, which is not easy to do. I mean, this is very expensive. It is a very hard thing to do to make a very good driving simulation, which is why so many driving games, people tell me, kind of suck. Um, and I'm not sure how good the driving model is in F1 2015. You'll have to tell me. I haven't played, I think, since 2013. Well, it's the F1 last one I played for any length of time. To, play, to be honest. Okay. So, I mean, maybe the only way to break the cycle is to, unfortunately, you know, stop for a year. But you can't do that because this is how the companies keep going. Um, the margins are often so tight, especially in these, you know, these specialized simulations uh, like the F1, when you have a lot of these smaller, um, you know, racing games out there. You have what you have cars, and you have uh, other titles out there, which are, you know, not necessarily as flashy, but in many ways, you know, just eating their lunch as far as options and variety is concerned. Well, there's, um, there's also places that don't necessarily have those margin issues. Like, you look at the Assassin's Creed games, and Ubisoft just throws money and has, like, 20 studios working on them constantly. So, like, I hear stories about how Assassin's Creed 3, they knew was not coming together, but it was a yearly release. So they took something from Assassin's Creed 4 that they knew was coming together, the ship combat, shoved it in. People were like, yeah, this game isn't very good, but the ship combat is so good. So they got something out of that, and then Assassin's Creed 4 comes along, and they're like, oh, the ship combat's awesome, it's everything I wanted from Assassin's Creed 3, when, you know, that was Ubisoft pulling the money from having people working on multiple games at the same time. And like this is, I don't know if this is a way to get out or just to make something out of going all in, but it's uh, that's one way to do it. And Ubisoft have already said that they're only going to stop making Assassin's Creed games or take a break from them when people stop buying them. <laughs> and then when you look at Unity, which was just unmitigated shite, um, people still lapped it up. They they absolutely loved it. Um, Some people I mean, gave room though- two a seven. <laughs> you just sneak that up on me um but yeah i i it it sold pretty well even though they i mean they had to because it was so bad they had to do things like scrap the season pass and give people all this free dlc because it was just entirely broken but um this the, the series consistently sells well despite all of these problems and despite all of these things that we believe should be improved and all these detractors. And the only way it'll stop is if people just stop buying them. 
Well, but also the 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 weird thing is like, how does that series fix itself? Well, like Assassin's Creed Four kind of did fix it. <laughs> I know a lot of people who really still liked uh, Rogue quite a lot, and one reason is like. It's a very special way of rescuing a franchise, but when the money hose is just turned on, you know, you can just blast these resources at the wall and yeah, you're going to you're going to like release some crap games. But a few of those many many teams you got working on it are going to hit a home run and then you just can you can you know, you'll you'll have a year that it's it's really really on. And so that's a it's an unusual model, and it's certainly not something I think that can be really replicated in strategy. But it's it's an interesting case where, well, I suppose it has been replicated a little bit with the Total War series. Uh, but it, but it, it's a case where, uh, you know, success sustains a series long enough that just the law of averages catches up with it, and you get a great game. Well, I think it's also, they get the great game, they recognize it, and they push forward with that. So you mentioned Rogue. Like, my friends who play Assassin's Creed games think that Rogue is maybe the best one they've done. And what Rogue, as far as I can tell, basically is, is the they took Assassin's Creed 4 and made it again. Like, they did a um, Napoleon Total War, or they did a, yeah. uh, whatever, the, the Shogun expansion that was in the 19th century. You know, they... They found the things that worked, and they honed in on that, and they did it again. And then they also released the big, new, ambitious thing in Unity that might have worked and might not have worked. And, you know, they'll take whatever worked from that and put it in the one that comes out this year, and maybe this one will be great. And They, they just have this inherent cycle of, um, you know, throwing money at it and seeing what works, and then whittling that into something that really works, and then doing it again. Well, the next one has carriages, Rowan. <laughs> and Jack so the Ripper. That. Yeah, trains. exciting stuff. Trains. You can fight on a train, which is always fun. <laughs> can, you, can you run on top of the train? I hope so. I'm going to assume they will let you do that. I don't know. That seems yeah. too crazy and improbable. I like don't people know. running and fighting on top of a moving train. Like hmm. you'll actually be getting in duels on, on top of the train, maybe. I don't know. Is it going to be combat? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, essentially the, the only thing I've really followed about Assassin, the, the next Assassin's Creed. Okay, what are they called? Syndicate? Yeah. yeah. The only thing I've followed about it is the, uh, the piece on uh, the character's fashion choices. That ran on pace. Uh, yeah, Gita Jackson's. Oh my god, it was so good. It was so good about why his why his stylish like leather padded leather trench coat, quilted leather trench coat, is just the dumbest possible character design you can imagine. <laughs> it was it was it was beautiful. She does good work, but uh, and then there, I, I think there's there's another case of like sometimes franchises just die. But then someone has to come along and sort of try to restore them to life. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that happening with um, Master of Orion, right? Where you've got Wargaming coming along and being like, hey, we've heard you guys like Master of Orion. How would you like another one? Oh, goody, another Space 4X game based <laughs> on Master of Orion. It's just what we needed, <laughs> but why not? Like, it, at some level it is. And are you... For a slightly more positive take, XCOM. Like, that was a franchise that got run into the ground. Like, the last three XCOM games before Firaxis got it weren't even tactics games. They were, like, shooters or space sims or whatever. Shooter space it, sims, it, it, I think. I think that was actually one of the ideas they had. Yeah, and and so it, it died for ten years, and then Firaxis said, you know, that turn-based tactics thing you guys had going was working pretty well. Let's let's get in on that. Well, this was after they left the uh, 2K Marine studio, just, like, burning down uh, around uh, XCOM, uh, what turned into the Bureau. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, there's also that. So there might have been internal publisher politics about why are we trying to make a shooter of this thing that no one likes as a shooter. But yeah, those, that's an interesting case of like their last resort was to kind of like, hey, what what would a turn-based XCOM look like in you know 2013? It turns out it looks pretty good. Yeah, but it's, you can't really do that for Master of Orion because you know what does you know that look like in 2015? I don't know. One of the eight million Space <laughs> 4X games that are out there, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh my! There's God. also. There's also, and this might be an unpopular take in certain crowds, but there's also that, like, if you're trying to make this series popular, 
you want to have it be at least on at least like console levels of accessibility if not on a console so xcom they tried to make it playable with a controller and playable from a couch where you're not able to look at all your little action points um and they did that and it was a really good game for that it might have been a really good game had they not done that but they did that and it worked and you're not going to get that with master Orion. Um, like you're going to get I... World of Tanks with spaceships. Yeah, like, which actually with... sounds really good. Well, so uh, I there's, to... there's multiple studios working on that very game, Fraser, so just <laughs> <Yeah>. sit tight. <laughs> so I went to the GDC presentation by the current uh, head of development on Diablo 3 about basically how they redeemed Diablo 3 Is that after... Josh Mosquera? Yes. Yeah. And... He was talking about how, as when they started trying to port it to console, which I think was like he was the one of the leaders on that, and that's how he kind of got into the, the team. They started like honing in on what made it work and what didn't, and then they have slow. They've done that with the PC version and the console version, where you know they have focused on the minutia of combat and making sure that you basically have a reason to constantly be fighting because that's what that game is by far the best at and they have shoved like all the storyline and all the metagame crap into the background because that's what Diablo 3 was bad at. You know, this is something you can't, you couldn't really do in the past. It's interesting. For all that, yeah, it creates the temptations to sort of nickel and dime people with microtransactions and sort of withhold value and, and sort of annoy people. You also get, like, games have second chances in this era in a way they didn't before. Like Troy, like let me ask you this, Troy. If yeah. Moo 3 comes mm-hmm. out in 20, you know, 2014, 2015, do you think that that game ends up being good in the end? Like if 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 you'd been in an era where you could just keep iterating on the game after it's out in the world, do you think they could have actually like salvaged what they'd done? Oh yeah, I'm absolutely certain they could because they had the the germs of really good ideas. You look at the early uh interviews and discussions of what Muthi was supposed to be before it turned into this clusterfuck garbage fire I was going to avoid using the word clusterfuck because I'm a grown up but that's pretty much sort of what it was of just you know bad design choices and um, lots of stupid management that didn't really mean anything or do anywhere and go anywhere in a bad AI but you know in today's world where you can release a patch very, very quickly, and you can have public beta tests you know, run through Steam, and you can do DLCs and updates, and there's just it's just so much easier to get to consumers and get their feedback and run A-B tests in a thousand different ways. I think it does have a... If it can get past that first lump of badness, maybe it survives. But SimCity didn't, right? I mean, SimCity wasn't that long ago. And it's kind of it was kind of but in the same model. I feel like and for I feel like Sims for some reason it didn't. I feel like SimCity is different because it was within this EA um, bubble, basically. So like if you if SimCity or if Cities in Motion had come out or City Skylines had come out in the same way as the original SimCity as, or as the latest SimCity did, then like if it had been busted in that way, I mean. You would still have the ability that where people can just like throw mods at it until you've got something interesting and build from there. Um, or you know, if Moo Three comes out, I think it still probably would have failed because games that go into like early access totally busted don't really seem to shed that reputation. Games that go into early access pretty good and then come out really good do well. Um, but if they had if they had like designed around the idea that they're trying to get it into early access and then build from there, yeah, that game has a chance. Yeah, I think I think Moo Three has a, a better shot, you know. Now I think more, more games have a better shot now. I can't think of a lot of games. I mean, Diablo Three is not on Steam either, but it's Blizzard, right? I mean, you have to have yeah. a lot of a lot of power behind that, and you think EA would be able to pull that off as well, even though Origins kind of its own peculiar little world it's certainly not you know a battle net type situation uh, but I, th- I think it really i think it has it has certainly a shot um and i think that um there's i'm trying to think of other games that have you know have launched really really poorly and have through the success of through you know new 
modding, not just modding, but through new uh, delivery systems, the ability to constantly update. So um, you you well, have one. Uh, I mean, it's, do we? Crusader Kings 2 didn't sell well, but eventually through word of mouth and consistent content updates became uh, a super hit, right? It's still open strong yeah. though, right? It, it opened very strong, but but really it was but it was a, a kind of a slow burn. It opened strong. All of our games opened strong, but it was a bit of a... Uh, it, it really started taking off, though, not from the constant updates, but just because, I mean, it's really Reddit, something awful. I mean, it's the community. The external community just caught onto the game and uh, was able to spread word of mouth, and that's how it became. It was, it was Let's Players. And, and um, Rowan on Twitter. And Rowan on Twitter. <laughs> and Twitter was actually, I mean, social media. Um, and it's not, is there a chance that, uh, does Moo get that chance? I don't know. I hadn't an example. Probably not. I, mean, I think it would, I think it would have had to have been a, lot, a little better. A lot depends. A lot depends on the DLC model. I mean, we mentioned you know Civ earlier. I'm not quite sure if this was mentioned before, but remember Civ's original DLC model? It wasn't you know expansions. Yeah. It was many things. It was you know they'd sell you Korea and a scenario. Yeah. And the Polynesian one as well. And there's yeah. So it was they were going to be nickeling and diming, and that just a, it probably was not working for them. So you get right. then yeah. expansions with all of these things, and they learned from that. Um, they learned yeah. that one model, that the the trickling model didn't work for that company and that community for some reason. Um, yeah, they they admitted that to me. With this is what we talked about when you were gone. Yeah. But they they okay. admitted they that admit specifically that that just really wasn't working, and so oh, that's why just... they switched over to um, really interesting little things like those little map packs with the yeah. randomized continents, which well, I really like. You can just delete everything I said. Then this has been covered. No, no, no. <laughs> it, was, no. It, it was good. It's no, confirmation. It, it is where the illusion shatters that this yeah. was a seamless recording. This is this is where you, the listener, get a glimpse behind the scenes and learn that Troy's yeah, internet like dies in, in heat, apparently. Because so, Rowan was just Rowan was dropping too many hot takes, and yeah. my internet exploded. It was, it was scorching. Uh, yeah, uh, no, that's well. Maybe that's it's just endless freaking support and expansion. Like how you salvage a franchise in, in this day and age, you just you don't let that idea die. Like certainly, like Stardock didn't with uh, Elemental. Like my God, they're like, well, we know there's a game in here somewhere, and they put on their helmet <laughs> lights and they grabbed their pickaxes and they went out to find it. I'm actually curious about Sorcerer King. I'm hearing some really, really good things about it. Um, so should probably check that out. But we'll so, see. There's so, so many things to play. So there's one sort of thing that I feel like is worth bringing up, and we kind of have with sort of fan obligations and obligations to fans and including things that people expect but uh the dragon age series seems to indicate a kind of everyone has expectations of what a thing should be and that turns into a real real problem when those things those expectations aren't met and it's there are totally different groups who are thinking of what is met or what isn't met because the narrative that came up when Dragon Age Inquisition came out was this is a great return to like pure RPG form after Dragon Age 2 did its weird story experimentation and stuff. And I thought that was utterly wrong. Like I liked Dragon Age 2. It was certainly messy, but Dragon Age Inquisition seemed like it took the ideas that Dragon Age 2 had messed up on and went totally the opposite direction um, by having just like, instead of, oh, you're stuck in a city for too long. Sure, that was an issue with Dragon Age 2. Oh, let's just make these giant open areas that are utterly pointless and boring. Um, and people, some people really liked that and some people didn't. So you have this kind of situation where depending on who you talk to, a Dragon Age fan will tell you that Dragon Age 2 is the game that needed to be redeemed. Or I think Dragon Age Inquisition is the game that needs to be redeemed because I thought that's the only recent Bioware game that I have played that I have no interest in ever playing again. See, I think the biggest problem with Dragon Age Inquisition was that not that long after, The Witcher 3 came out, and all of a sudden, Dragon Age Inquisition looks pretty crap. Yeah, um, I mean, I just can't look back on it. Like, I actually did enjoy, I played something like 100 hours of Dragon Age Inquisition, but actually about 60 of that was just incredibly boring. Um, yeah, it's... But 
I liked a lot of it still because it, you know, it was a long game. So I, I still probably got like forty hours of fun out of it. Um, but there was just heaped, heaped on just crap and fluff and filler. Um, and yeah. then The Witcher Three comes along and it's huge but lean, uh, and everything is kind of interconnected and it 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 doesn't feel like you're just faffing around in this giant open area collecting tat. But I, I do think the Dragon Age example is interesting because there is this thing after a, a, a franchise has maybe not even maybe it didn't even stumble right but like you've 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 inadvertently created a schism within yeah. your franchise and when it comes time then to take the next step you end up having to do this thing where both in your marketing but also I think on some on some level in your design you end up having to sort of um, signal your signal your loyalty to both these communities you've created right where you're like oh man it's, we're gonna do that thing you liked but not that bad thing you didn't and then you, you turn around to the, the the other people you've somehow angered and been like but even though we're still doing that stuff we're totally gonna do it better and remember that thing that we left out well we're gonna bring it back but even more so and it turns this this weird thing of like you you end up <laughs> a long, like a a long a, a franchise that plays out over a long period ends up looking not unlike a political a political campaign. <laughs> I mean, there's something I I quite like about Bioware's approach with Dragon Age, though. Where I mean, you've got Origins, which seems to be the one that kind of everyone loves the most, um, and I'm very fond of myself. But and and two is such a massive departure, um, and it does feel like nowadays everyone kind of thinks it's terrible but i i thoroughly enjoyed the the new change of pace the dramatically different kind of focus on character where you're actually got a personality this time um and then with three they kind of they're like well it was like a bit of a mea culpa but at the same thing you've got a completely different game that's three games in a series that are dramatically different um and i don't think there are that many series that can still attempt that we were just talking about before about the sort of the loyalty to this concept and, and to keep franchises going and not really changing that much about them. But Dragon Age has. I would argue that The Witcher has reinvented itself, though, every bit as oh, much yeah. as, I completely as agree. Dragon Age and, and managed to, I think managed to stick the landing in every turn where there yeah. is like, I'm just going to blatantly pimp a piece I just wrote for, <laughs> for Rock, Paper, Shotgun, but... <laughs> I was sort of talking to the developers there about like going back to the start of the series, like what are their memories of The Witcher One, and what were their goals going into it. But the thing that like really strikes me about that series is there is no Witcher franchise in terms of a design. Not the way like Mass Effect is a franchise, right? Where it's like, hey, it's 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 a shooter with some you wander around a spaceship from time to time, but like fundamentally all the pieces are there in Mass Effect One. The Witcher, they're just like, it's kind of whatever they want to do at that moment, whatever they feel they can get away with, they just go for it. And it's it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, with Dragon Age, you got this kind of investment from multiple different groups of people. The two of the strongest are like the people who are super interested in diverse and interesting characters and having like a strong companion bond and lots and lots of discussion and talking with the people you're hanging out with and then you have this other group that's like this is the pure fantasy rpg this is the new Baldur's gate um i'm only interested in gameplay i want to pause all my combat all the time and remember that was the original pitch for, pick, pitch for Dragon Age uh, Origins, right? Like the entire right. franchise itself was like, man, remember the good old days? Don't you want the good old days again but with new graphics? <laughs> what if we did Baldur's Gate but Game of Thrones? Uh, uh? Yeah. Yeah. And if you think Dragon Age started its inception was around the time that like before Neverwinter Nights 2 came out and they were actually kind of like development of both games was going at the same time obviously in different places but um it was still in that kind of like everyone was still hung up on on Baldur's Gate and especially after Neverwinter hadn't been particularly great i mean in in kind of the persistent worlds and then the mods that was it was fantastic but the actual campaign was a bit shit Neverwinter 2 or just Neverwinter never the original Neverwinter yeah Neverwinter 2 was or Neverwinter Nights 2 was 
um, Obsidian. So yeah, um, but yeah, there, there's also a weird thing with Bioware's history where they've sort of accidentally invented the Western JRPG where your 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 mm. companions are like the main thing about True. the game. Like so, in Baldur's Gate One, um, it was supposed to be a multiplayer experience, like you're go joining a party with your best D and D buddies, except you're doing it remotely on the internet. But if you want to play single player, we'll give you some companions, and they'll kind of talk to you every now and then. And then that became Bioware's thing. Like the companions are like the number one thing that people talk about with those games. And by the time they got to Knights of the Old Republic, you know, they were like, okay, we're just writing everything about these companions. Like there's no multiplayer aspect. These are these are what we these these are what we do. And then so Dragon Age Origins, you have meeting these sort of two different ideas of the um super duper gameplay versus super duper writing, which is not necessarily, you know, in conflict but it's become in conflict in that series because dragon age 2 went so far towards a character-based storytelling thing i actually really like the gameplay mechanics in dragon age 2 but that's not well, what people the talk about when they talk about that was just, i thought that, oh awful. i thought that the combat the combat ended up really working if you stopped viewing it in terms of space and started viewing it in terms of time okay um and I felt like Dragon Age Inquisition failed at both of those because, like, the main time thing was when can you heal, how can you heal, where Dragon yeah. Age Inquisition was that stupid-ass potion system that was the worst of both worlds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I, I'll defend the Dragon Age 2 combat, but that's not what it's known for. So you get this immediate schism where Dragon Age Origins, although people have accurate complaints about the length of a lot of it, um, it it had this sort of marriage of writing and mechanics, and you know I think this translates to strategy games fairly well. Where, like, imagine an endless legend sequel where they decide to go all out on the beautiful aesthetics and so on, and the gameplay just doesn't really matter. Like that could happen. You mean how like, most we of don't us even know- the game? We don't even know if that <laughs> gameplay worked, but if they went even further in that direction, um then, you know, that would be more apparent, and, you know, that could be great, and then they would have a, let's get back to basics, but then that return to basics is, you know, a Dragon Age Inquisition that's just a bloated mess. I should clarify right here, I've I've played Endless Legend since then, it actually does work, I think, in the long haul, like, at this point, like, there there actually is an endgame, and, like, things do come together somewhat nicely, not perfectly, but, you know, whatever does in 4X. Not, so you just not want to clarify, we were right before. We were right yes. when we first talked about it. But we didn't know we why right. we were right. And <laughs> we may not have been right at the time, but retroactively, we were on the side of the angels. So fear not, you're still in good hands on Three Moves Ahead. Uh, I think we will <laughs> leave the discussion there. Uh, as always, our thanks to producer Michael Hermes for putting this episode together, uh, which I am sure will be a challenge this week for a variety of reasons. Uh, we'll be back next week with some other kind of topic, but until then, for Three Moves Ahead, I'm Rob Zachney. Good night. Good night, all. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>